Welcome to Prayer Quest. I'm Father Thomas Dubé, Merit Priest. We welcome you to our continuing exploration of what it means to be deeply immersed in God. Prayer Quest. You might remember that last time we spoke toward the end of our segment about the impediments to being deeply immersed in God, to drinking at the fountain, capital F. And we might use as our connective today that remark of the Lord to St. Angela of Foligno, which is right on target, making our point. Said he, make yourself a capacity and I will make myself a torrent. We've noted how God wants to give himself to you and me totally. Torrent, not a trickle. And therefore, we have to do our part we have to make ourselves a capacity for the divine gift, the self-gift of God to us. And we come to our next idea bearing on that particular point, namely, a problem that all of us have of resisting change in ourselves. Some people welcome change in society and in the church, but all of us are resistant to change in ourselves. We just like to be the way we are. John Henry Newman made this point very well. He was talking about religiously inclined people, people who do want God to some extent, but not perfectly. And he is showing how we, we have it in our being, because we're fallen, that we don't want anybody to tamper with our lifestyle, the lifestyle that we have chosen. If I may quote from John Henry Newman, he was still an Anglican when he said this, but already very close to the Catholic Church. And here is how he puts the matter. We like to be what we are. And for many reasons, it is very unpleasant for us to change. We cannot change ourselves. This too we know full well. Or at least a very little experience will teach us. God alone can change us. God alone can give us the desires, affections, principles, views, and tastes which a change implies. This we know too. And any one of us, if I may interrupt a moment, knows from his own experience that, that our tastes are just embedded in us and almost, almost impossible. And of ourselves, it is impossible to change them. God can do it if we let him. Newman goes on. I am all along speaking of men who have a sense of religion. What then is it that we who profess religion lack? I repeat it, repeat it. We lack this, a willingness to be changed. And he has underlined the be. We don't like to be changed. A willingness to suffer, if I may use such a word, to suffer Almighty God to change us. We do not like to let go of our own selves and in whole or part, though all is offered to us freely, we cling and hold to our old selves. That is a real impediment to a deepening prayer life. You can just ask yourself, I just noted down some of the things I have observed in the human family, how people resist modifying their behavior even to old age in some cases. For instance, idle talk. We hear that remark in the gospel that of every idle word, useless, waste of time, both for the speaker and for the listener. 
We've heard that how many times in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord speaking, but there are people who go to their grave by, by no means even changing slightly their idle speaking. Coldness towards some people. We know it's wrong, but some people just go on and on and they just don't want to change and be cordial and warm to that individual in any event. Overeating. Some people overeat until they die. There's just no change. Vanities of different types. We don't like to change our little vanities. Possessing superfluities, as we have it in 1 Timothy, we enter the world with nothing, we will leave it with nothing, with food and clothing, be content, and we've heard it many times, and we don't like to get rid of superfluities. We just don't. And if you have never experienced that, you are a rare species. A final example, the way we deal with success. Most of us like to be modest in our words, in our actions. And sometimes the, the modesty, let's hope, hope most of the time, it's very sincere. But sometimes it isn't. And it's very difficult to change from that somewhat insincere reaction to a fully authentic and sincere one. We don't like to change. Vast numbers of people resist with a real will, with a real determination to do what we have from St. Angela, make themselves a capacity. They don't want to do that. And if we don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. The third impediment to quenching that I want to mention is getting tired of doing good. Diligent perseverance is difficult. Let me give you a biblical way of making this particular point. And it's crucial. It's not enough in life to be good for two years or 13 years or 28 years. We've got to be good to the end. Just as in marriage. Uh, what married couple would be content that husband or wife is diligent and faithful for a few years, but after that gets tired of it? Nope, it's got to be for good. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read in verses 11 and 12, Our one desire is that every one of you should go on showing the same earnestness to the end. Notice, to the end. Not just for a good while. To the perfect fulfillment of our hopes, never growing careless, but in imitating those who have the faith and the perseverance to inherit the promises. This, by the way, is a real compliment that God pays you and me. Notice th this totality sort of thing. I'm going to return to that in a little while. But Scripture is always total. Never does God operate in fractions. For instance, right here, not only we're to show earnestness to the end, but to the perfect fulfillment of our hopes. See, God pays you and me the compliment of wanting us to be saints. We're that great. Of ourselves, of course, we're nothing, but with Him we are great. And He wants a complete fulfillment. You don't uh, say something like this to an athlete who is just mediocrely good. You don't say, uh, break all the records, because you know this person can't break all the records. And so when God tells you and me to be perfect, as Scripture says it many times, it's a great compliment He pays us. Never growing careless and persevere to the very end. Sometimes, you know, in religious life, 
members of the community think that the novices are the best examples of being a good sister or brother, or sometimes we might apply that to marriage, that newlywed husbands and wives are kind of an example of real love in marriage. Well, let's hope it is so. But as a matter of fact, whether one is married or religious, we ought to be much better examples at our silver jubilee and even the golden. Because after all, we are living a life. And people who are living a life grow. Living things do grow. And to a f fullness of perfection if everything is normal. The fourth suggestion about removing impediments to being quenched at the fountain, God himself, capital F, is that we want to take care that we do not belittle active uh, prosaic efforts at growing in holiness. I'll give you a, an illustration of what I mean. Religious have the practice in many communities of what they call particular examine. You may have heard of it. As the name indicates, it's an examination of conscience, particular, examine. And as the first word suggests, it's an examination on one point. Not simply at the end of the day at my evening prayers, night prayers, I go over the whole day, did I offend God in any way, and then I express sorrow. That's general examination of conscience. The particular is done at another time of the day, and by the way, it's very good for lay people to do it too. That's one reason I'm bringing this up at this point. And you take a look at yourself from the previous 24 hours on one point only. Let's take that example of being cold. I don't like this guy. And so I'm civil, more or less, but I'm cold. And I want to get over that. And I have to work on it, because it doesn't come naturally. Particular examine would mean that I study myself, whatever part of the day I do this, the previous 24 hours, how I did on that, and in view of what I learned, I plan how shall I do when I meet him again the next 24 hours. Now, that is called particular examine. It's not the whole account of it, but the substance. People sometimes belittle this sort of thing as rather beneath their dignity. I'm rather beyond that in my spiritual life. I don't have to pay attention to this point or that one. That's a big mistake. Um, only persons that really wouldn't have to do that are people very close to sanctity, heroic virtue of the saints. And even they would not say they don't need this. They're the first ones to know that they are not perfect. The fifth impediment to being quenched at the fountain, God himself, is to have a divided heart. Indeed, it's an impediment to, uh, to marriage. If husband or wife divide their hearts, their love, with some other person and try to give a kind of marital attention to another person, that, that particular relationship's in trouble, as anybody knows. In our relationship with God, we've got to get rid of selfish clingings if we want really to drink deeply at the fountain. Let's take as a step-off point for the idea I'm suggesting to you the parable of the sower in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. And you know this very well. The sower is spreading the seed, the Word of God. And then there are different kinds of persons in hearing the Word, whether they do anything about it or not. And I want to take a look especially at verse 14. As for the part, the seed, the word of God, that fell into thorns, this is people who have heard, but as they go on their way, 
They are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life and do not reach maturity. Let's apply this right now to this program. I am presenting to you the Word of God. That's exactly what we're dealing with. You're listening to it, very much what the Lord is talking about. But then you're going to leave the television set and you're going to get about other duties you have or recreation or you might be going to bed or whatever. But notice what the Lord says. So these are people who have heard the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked. He uses a smother verb. Interesting. And right on target, it's exactly what happens. They're choked, smothered by three things, all of them good. The worries, the job one has to do. We had better do our job and do it well. Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel, says St. Paul. And woe to you if you don't do what you're supposed to do. But nonetheless, you can be choked by your work as I can be choked by mine, smothered. So, they're choked by the worries, and secondly, the riches, things that God made are good, they're not bad, but I can be choked by them. When I cling to them for themselves, I make a little idol out of them, a little God, big trouble. And the pleasures of life and virtuous activities ordinarily have a pleasure, they should. And pleasure is good in itself, you see. But one can be choked by it, smothered by it. Trouble for growth. And his conclusion is, so these people are choked by their job, their works. We'll talk about that later. You'll see that on our visuals. It's coming up down the road a piece. The worries, the works, the riches, and the pleasures of life. And then the Lord's conclusion is, and they do not reach maturity. Here's that compliment again that God pays us. You and I are to be mature in our relationships with God, quenched, fully developed, beautiful, as Ezekiel put it. We had that in one of the previous segments. If a person has a divided heart, that individual is not going to be quenched, at least not fully, at the divine fountain. Let me tell you a little incident. I was saying Mass someplace, on a Sunday, I think it was. It was a big mother house of a congregation, chapel. There were lay people there, but it was mostly sisters. And after Mass, I stopped at the back of the chapel for some prayer time in one of the pews. And there was a little girl that came in. Most everybody had left the chapel by that time. And I was there just quietly. And uh, the little girl came up to me, I would say three or four years old. And she said, as a little kid would, what are you doing? I said, praying. Then I asked her, I said, do you pray? I just meant sometimes. I thought I'd be a little playful with her, you know. And she said, yeah. She says, I play to win the lottery. And then she went off into a talking about sandbox and, and swimming. It was. Now, that's very understandable in a little child, three, four years old, boy or girl. I have no trouble with that whatsoever, understanding it. She's too young to grasp the sort of things we're talking about here. The trouble is that there are adults very much like this. People who, when they pray, it's for something tangible of this world, to make the most out of this world. Not that that's necessarily bad to have things go well in this world. I'm not saying that. But I am suggesting that we should not have a divided heart. The biggest thing in life is not winning a lottery. 
if we want to drink deeply at the fountain, we've got to be total people, undivided heart. Expressed by St. Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or do anything else, notice the compliment God pays us, we're so great that whatever we do, we do it for the right motivation. Whether you eat or drink or do anything else, do all. He doesn't say simply do the big things. Do everything for the glory of God, which is the other side of our own good. God always wills what's good for you and me, uh, nothing otherwise. And if we want really to drink deeply at the fountain, we have to be total, undivided in our hearts. The next suggestion for drinking deeply is to be determined and a great impediment to being quenched, being fully developed as a human person, beautiful, perfect in beauty, as Ezekiel puts it, is to entertain in one's will a lack of determination. We have to make up a mind, I am really going to give God everything. It's not simply that I'm going to to admire giving everything. I admire the saints. I wish I were a saint. I have to make up my mind. I am going to do it. Let me use an example what I have in mind. There's a big difference between a will and a wish. Suppose in the summertime you're on a river, one bank of a river, and you want to get to the other side of the river, and there's a rowboat or a canoe you could use if you wanted to. But suppose you know also there's a bridge down the way. And you say to yourself, well now I want to get to the other side of the river. It would be nice to be over there. And so the person with you says, well, here's a canoe you can get over if you want. Uh, or there's a bridge mile down the river. You can walk down there and get over. And you say, oh, not really. I don't want to take the canoe or the boat, and I don't care to walk a mile down one side of the bank and another mile down the other. That person only wishes to get to the other side of the river. He has not made up his mind to get there. There's no determination. And so it is in the spiritual life, living the gospel. It's that way in marriage. Uh, wishes are not enough. Velayati, as we call it, not enough. We've got to be determined. Let me give you an example. And I rather hesitate, frankly, in giving you this example because you might think I'm saying you have to do exactly what this man did. I'm referring to Matt Talbot. He had a real problem with alcohol. But he was converted. And after his conversion, here is the kind of thing we read about Matt Talbot. Uh, this is enough to scare anybody in one's boots. But again, I repeat, I'm not saying anybody has to do just what Matt Talbot did. I'm simply illustrating somebody who's got determination. And this person will drink deeply at the fountain. He would spend, on Sundays, an eight-hour vigil in church from the 5.30 morning Mass through all the rest of the day's Masses until about 1.30 in the afternoon. Oh, there's all, all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things here. His, his diet was very sparse. He increased his abstinence from meat to nine months of the year. He deprived himself of newspapers and of smoking his pipe. At home, as a penitent, he spent much of his time on his knees, and he 
devoted just hours to prayer. He would rise without fail. I'm quoting now this little account. Every morning at 2 o'clock to pray for several hours before going to Mass. Now, once again, lest I be misunderstood, I'm not saying you must get up at 2 a.m. I'm not saying a word about your diet. I am saying here is an example of determination. This man said, I am really going to be converted. All the way, the three levels of conversion, not just the one. An example of what one has to do, that is an example of the determination we've got to bring to our life to correct whatever needs correction. And that brings us to our last impediment to drinking at the fountain. Namely, if we neglect mortification and penance. We may take a look at St. Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, verse 23. We've got the Lord saying, If anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. Notice the Lord's remark about taking up the cross. That's painful. Our pains with our little crosses are nothing like his in comparison, at least most of them aren't. But the point is here that we take up the cross. Correcting our faults is difficult, as I said a little earlier. We don't like to change, and it's a penance and it's a self-denial that is involved in our changing. We've got to take up our cross every day to follow the Lord. And as St. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, all the runners at the stadium are trying to win, but only one of them gets the prize. You must run in the same way meaning to win. All the fighters in the games go into strict training. Let me stop on that for a moment. If you've ever watch, say, a high school football team uh, practicing in August before school begins. I have watched them at a former home base. Uh, they start about 2.30 in the afternoon and go to pretty close to 8 o'clock in the evening, and they take a beating, quite literally, in their practice. Get rid of the flabby muscles and so on. Get their coordination in order, motor abilities, learn the plays, etc. That is very penitential thing to do. And St. Paul is using that example here. Namely, that if we want to win a wreath, and as Paul notes, it's a wreath that will never wither, if we really want to drink at the fountain completely, we've got to be of such mind that we're going to go into training. And that is painful. And so Paul goes on. They do this, athletes, just to win a wreath that will never wither, that will wither away. But we do it for a wreath that will never wither. That is how I run, intent on winning. That is how I fight, not beating the air. I treat my body hard and make it obey me. Many of our faults, you know, are faults of body, but in the will, ultimately, and one has to be hard on one's body, fasting, maybe some other penances. Matt Talbot knelt a great deal as penance for his sins. But we've got also other 
faults in our will that we have to work on, and that is hard too. For instance, I can be wedded to my own view of things, even to the manner of recreating, and it must be done my way and not somebody else's way. I have to get rid of that. I have to treat my will hard, to use St. Paul's remark. Example. And so if I want to drink at the fountain, I've got to perfect myself, go into training, strict training, in that manner also. If I may return once more to St. Angela's remark, reported as coming from the Lord himself, make yourself a capacity, and I will make myself a torrent. Those three levels of conversion. If I have avoided and, and intend to avoid mortal sin, wonderful, but I've got more work to do yet. I want to avoid also deliberate venial sin of whatever type it might be. I want to live what you've got in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, the beginning of the chapter this time. I quote, message to the church at Sardis, I know all about you, how you are reputed to be alive and yet are dead. Wake up, revive what little you have left, it is dying fast. So far, I have failed to notice anything in the way you live that my God could possibly call perfect. Notice there's God paying you that compliment again. He wants you to drink deeply at the fountain, fully a torrent. And yet this person who hasn't undergone the second conversion yet, this person isn't living that way and God is calling him to it. And yet do you remember how eager you were when you first heard the message Hold on to that, repent. And that brings us then to wind up this whole section on the impediments to quenching that brings us to the third level of conversion, to live as saints do. To have that determination of mind, I shall give the Lord everything. As we have it in Psalm 119, verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Not simply 95% of it, not 98% only, but the whole entire heart. Then we are fitted for what St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And you will remember, we've considered this passage again, and this wraps up this section of our discussion, our theme in this series. Follow the Lord, His love, until you are filled with the utter fullness of Christ. God bless you. See you next time.